finish looking at the book of Haggai. And if you haven't been with us uh, for the first two uh, sermons, I've attempted to give a brief recap of those two sermons in five sentences. So we'll see how, how good I did here. The book of Haggai, people of Judah have returned from their exile and they became more concerned about their own life than God. So the Lord sends Haggai to give them three messages. You know, the first message was that the people would begin to give careful thought to all the ways that they had been living. The second message was one where the Lord met them in their discouraged state as they thought about the temple, that though it didn't look like much, its glory would be greater than that of the temple they remembered. And now we're going to head to the, uh, the last half of chapter 2, which is that third message as the Lord speaks through Haggai to the people. You can find that in those black Bibles on page 769. Uh, if the students have the NIV uh, Reader's Edition with them, that'll be on page 1,148. Let's read. We'll start at verse 10 and read to the end of the chapter. On the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Ask the priests what the law says. If someone carries consecrated meat in the fold of their garment, and that fold touches some bread or stew, some wine, olive oil, or other food, does it become consecrated? The priest answered, no. Then Haggai said, if a person defiled by contact with a dead body touches one of these things, does it become defiled? Yes, the priest replied. It becomes defiled. Then Haggai said, So it is with this people and this nation in my sight, declares the Lord. Whatever they do, whatever they offer, there is defiled. Now give careful thought to this from this day on. Consider how things were before one stone was laid on another in the Lord's temple. When anyone came to a heap of 20 measures, there were only 10. When anyone went to a wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were only 20. I struck all the work of your hands with blight, mildew, and hail, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. From this day on, from this 24th day of the ninth month, give careful thought to the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Give careful thought. Is there yet any seed left in the barn? Until now, the vine and fig tree, the pomegranate and the olive tree have not borne fruit. From this day on, I will bless you. The word of the Lord came to Haggai a second time on the 24th day of the month. Tells Rebel, governor of Judah, that I am going to shake the heavens and the earth. I will overturn royal thrones and shatter shatter the power of the foreign kingdoms. I will overthrow chariots and their drivers. Horses and their riders will fall, each by the sword of his own brother. On that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I will take you, my servant Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, 
declares the Lord, and I will make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord Almighty. Much like the first half of chapter 2, how that message began with a question, so too does this message begin with a question. A question to the priests. If someone carried some consecrated meat, so that's some holy meat. Maybe it's, it's like uh, meat that was offered to God in a sacrifice. And, and often what's done is it's not all burned up, but there's some perhaps that is, is you could call it leftovers. Not, I guess, like the leftovers you put in your fridge. But you can carry it home and you eat it at a later time. It's a, it's a holy meat. So they're carrying this holy meat in the fold of their clothes. And as they go along, it, it touches some bread or it touches some wine or it it touches some green beans or, or whatever you have, does that meat transfer its holiness, its consecrated state, to something else? Can you transfer one's holy state onto someone else, onto something else? And the priest's the priests know that this is a softball question that Haggai asked because the law says no. You do not transfer holiness from one thing to another. It's just not the way it works. And so they ask the same question in a different way in verse 13. If a person is defiled by touching something dead, touching a dead body, and that person who is defiled from touching that dead body, if, if he touches anything else, do those things become defiled? And the answer, once again, is yes. And in the book of Numbers, chapter 19, the Lord stipulates in His law that if someone who has touched a dead body and has become defiled touches anyone else or anything else, then that too will become defiled. The same question asked in, in two different ways. If we think about those things on our own, we could maybe think about cooking and say you're cooking with, with chicken and you're cutting off the fat or the excess skin and the things that you don't want and what you do is you go and move the meat and you take the same cutting board and then you set all of your other food on it. Right? You now have created the opportunity for salmonella to be affecting all of the rest of your things. The, the defiled nature, we could say, of, of the chicken in an uncooked state is now being transferred on to everything else that you put, or put on the cutting board or touch with your hands. Right? You, you typically will wash your hands and cleanse your hands of touching that chicken before you begin the preparation of other food. 
Janine, I should look at you for this. You do a lot of the cooking on Wednesday night, right? Cleanliness is something that is very important. And here, what we see is the defiled nature transfers. And Haggai's point, because of what the Lord had revealed to him, was not talking about cooking. It wasn't talking about about people really touching dead things. It was about the state of the heart of the people of Judah. So it is with this people and this nation. Whatever they offer there, meaning at the temple, is defiled. The Lord, through Haggai, is saying that the state of their heart really at all times is this state where we're not going to be transferring holiness on things, but instead, everything we touch is unclean. Everything we interact with, everything that they did was defiled and dirty. The people who had been working to build the temple, to build the foundations of the temple, that was was not somehow transferring holiness into their bodies and into their souls. Though they were doing something good, doing what the Lord asked them to do, they would not add holiness by how many bricks they would put down, how many stones they would lay for the Lord that does not equate to them gaining more and more and more holiness. No, the reality of it is everything that they did, everything that they touched, even if it was for the Lord, building the Lord's temple, it was defiled. It was unholy. Because an unholy people can only transfer unholiness. Haggai, he goes on to talk about the fruitlessness of their labor. How they'd look for grain and they'd think maybe there's There's 20 pounds of it there, but there's only 10. How they went to go get the wine that they they had, and, and they thought there was 50 gallons, but there was only 20. When they went to go to their pomegranate trees, when they went to go to their orchards, what they would find is that the birds have taken all the fruit. There was nothing left in the barn. Everything that they did, everything they touched, all the work that they had had tried to do was all fruitless. And even though they're working for something good, the Lord says, because of the state of your heart, because of the state of your heart, you're no more holy than what you were before. 
holiness of the temple does not transfer to you. I think we can easily slip into that same idea where, where we think the things that we do somehow are the things that bring holiness to ourselves. That those times where we spend an extra Saturday volunteering or we we come on Wednesday night when we really didn't want to, that somehow the Lord will will bless that and and give us a, a little more holiness. We can we can begin to think and, and compare with, with other people. Well, I must be a little more holy than them because, you know, I read my Bible every day for the last year. Or I volunteered at every opportunity the church had. That must, must mean something. But the reality is, The reality is, no. Everything that we do, even if it's a a good thing that the Lord asked us to do, doesn't add anything to our salvation. It doesn't make us holier than thou. That's just not the way it works. You can't transfer holiness from our works to ourselves, reading scripture, attending church, serving others, it doesn't mean you're holy. Those particular things have nothing to do with it, the reality is. You could attend church every day, every day that it's available morning and evening and Wednesday night and you go to Tuesday coffee break and, and all these things. And if God has not entered you, if you have not submitted yourself to the will of God, if you have not understood Christ as the one who gives you salvation and as the source of your holiness, you have nothing. We can can put all those things a part of our life, but it means nothing if we don't have Christ. Things are not the source of holiness, for it is Christ who is the source of our holiness. And even for the people of God here, the people of Judah... What they do is not the source of their holiness because God, way before they built the temple the second time, way before they built the temple the first time, He said, you are a holy nation, a royal priesthood. Before they did any of those things, God granted them a holiness that they weren't able to earn on their own. And he granted them a status as children of him. His people. And it's out of of that status that then the Lord continues by saying, you've you've dealt with all of these bad things. You've, You've dealt with all of the defiled nature of everything that you've done. And now you've turned your hearts towards me. And the last sentence right here, from this day on, 
I will bless you. Now that you recognize that it's, it's not what you do for me that matters, now that you recognize it's who you are to me, I will bless you. The people received a promise of changed fortunes. The thought of maybe if we plant it, now it will actually grow. If we tend to our orchards, the birds won't steal the small fruit. That if we head, head back to our, our, our grain, we'll, we'll find what we put there and, and none of it will have been stolen. When we, when we go look for something to drink, what we, what we will find is something to drink, not an empty vat. And you would think that that would be the greatest promise that we could find in this piece of Scripture. But there's actually one more that maybe it's a little more obscure. But verse 23. Earlier, God talked about the... the royal thrones being overturned. Talked about chariots and drivers being overtaken. And then he says this, On that day, declares the Lord, I will take you, my servant Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel. I will make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you. Throughout this book, we've seen that name, Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel. Zerubbabel, the governor of Judah. Over and over, his name has appeared. In effect, every time he's referenced as governor of Judah, it's kind of like a slap in the face. Because he's a puppet king. The Persian Empire put him, put him there in charge, in charge of the region of Judah. Zerubbabel was this pawn that was, that was put there by Babylon, or the Persian king. So Persia could just tell him what to do and he needed to follow everything that Darius said. It's a continual reminder that he's a minor political player in a bureaucracy that is the Persian Empire. And yet, when you get to this last verse, he's not stated as the governor of Judah. He's stated as the son of Shealtiel. Instead of emphasizing his political nature, instead of emphasizing him being a pawn, instead, what is being emphasized is his lineage. Which if you trace his lineage back, you'll find it leads to David. And God made a promise to David that said, your throne and your kingdom will not end. So as all these kingdoms are being overthrown, as all these nations will be shaken by the Lord, here we have a promise that says, I have not forgotten about my promise to David that says his kingdom 
will last forever. And Zerubbabel, I choose you. I have chosen you as my signet ring. Signet ring was a familiar image to them in the ancient Near East. It was a ring that had an impression on it. It was the seal of the king that that whatever had the seal of the king had authority. You could say that the seal of the king was the king's most treasured possession because by the seal of the king, things would come to pass. People would recognize the wax seal impressed by that ring and know that whatever was in those pages was something that was important. And now the Lord is using Zerubbabel, saying, you you are my most important thing. You are in the line of David, the line that will continue forever. For I have chosen you. Though you will never come to power apart from being a a puppet king, you are more valuable to me than anything else. By choosing Zerubbabel, the line of David would continue. It would not end. And, and, and we actually know that it wouldn't end because there would be another king, a king that wouldn't really come to power here on this earth just like Zerubbabel never came to power. But the beautiful thing about this king is that he is able to transfer his holiness. Unlike all of us and all those before us who are unable to somehow transfer holiness and and we just have sickness a part of our life and we transfer that sickness and that defiled nature to all those we come into contact with. It was Christ who came in this world to live for us and to transfer His holiness, to transfer His righteousness onto us. So that when the when the Father looks at you and me, He doesn't see a defiled person. He doesn't see someone filled with sin. Instead, He sees someone clothed with the holiness and the righteousness of Jesus. And it's, it's God who invites us to be under His care. It's God who invites us to acknowledge the person of Christ so that we can receive His blessing. So that we too can know that we are His treasured possession. Something He loves more than anything else. So that we know that we are His Sons and daughters. Not because of what we've done. Not because of what we've done yesterday or 
not what we're going to do in the future, but because who we belong to. We belong to Christ. And when we belong to Christ, we belong to God. Let us pray together. Lord, we we thank you that salvation is something that fully rests in who Jesus is and the work that he has done. That salvation is something that is a transfer of Christ's holiness onto us. Because we wouldn't have any way to get to you without him. Cause us to remember and reflect deeply on who Jesus is as a person to us. Cause your spirit to work in us that we would continue the work of his kingdom here, not for our glory, not for our holiness, but for your glory and for your honor and for your praise. In Christ's name we pray, amen. belong to his kingdom, and uh, Christ calls us to serve him as part of that kingdom. And uh, we ask you to rise in body or in spirit uh, and join us in singing, Hear the Call of the Kingdom. Mm-hmm.